and wrap. Okay, good to see you guys. It's Thank really you nice so to see much. You. It was so great. We'll see you next month. Okay, bye. Oh, sweet Jesus on a Ritz cracker. Courtney. I mean. I mean, come on. You know it's bad when the highlight of my week is going to the dental clinic at Sidenam Hospital. (laughs) Shout out to Sidenam Hospital. Really nice people. Yeah. Uh, But that's the highlight of my week. You know... It is gotten, well, first of all, we're back. It's not going to let you finish. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, yes. It's us. Oh, Courtney yeah. and Amy. Uh, In case you yeah. thought you randomly fell on a call. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just get it out of the way right now. Okay, listen, guys. Early voting starts October 24th here in New York. I know a lot of my friends across the country I've seen have already early voted. All of our listeners, again, please vote. Vote early. If you're, if you're mailing in ballots, I mean, I'd love if you would drop them off at a ballot box or at your board of elections. Or if not, mail them today. Do not wait. But go in person if you can. And I know in New York, Amy and I are voting early. Yeah. Everybody, we need to vote like your life depends on it. And it's up and down the ticket. Remember, you're angry about what happened with Breonna Taylor. Remember, all of those positions of people like the AG, those are elected positions. So your local races and those small races and your mayoral races and your city council races, those count in your neighborhoods. All the things that you're standing in the street and you're marching for, it's not the president. It's those races that come that people don't show up for. Yeah, and in New York, we don't have Senate, Council, Congressmen, but everything else is up for grabs this year. Everything. Everything. And it's important. So read up. And listen, I think that both sides have been terrible, right? I think that the Democrats and the Republicans haven't. They've done nothing but fight and not really done anything for the people. There are a lot of new young people. Young people are the answer. Older people are stuck on their sides, and they, you know, they're the ones with their flag planted in the ground. You young people, you see some new people trying to come in and you hear their voice and it sounds a lot like your voice and where you want this country to go, give them a shot. We don't need Well, unless Let's... you're a, a young Republican and don't vote for them. Sorry. But can, can you imagine, Amy, can you imagine any of the jobs that you have being like, yes. all right, I have a new boss. I don't like him. So I'm not going to do my job for years. Like who gets to do that except our Congress? We don't like well, this one, so we won't do our job. It's like I well, don't know anyone. I wish I was allowed to to be able to on each job being like, you know, I don't like these new motherfuckers that are running the department, so I'm well, just not going to do I anything. Mean, all you need to know about the Republicans, and then we'll shift on to some, you know, is that or you know, we'll finish up, is that rather than pass a stimulus plan, they'd rather get some fucking religious fanatic in on the Supreme Court. That's their priority. And um, one more thing. <laughs> and I don't like the fact that her name right. is Amy. Right. And I don't like the fact that that fucking bitch in the park who called the cops. I, as speaking as the normal good <laughs> Amy, I resent this. Right. Continue, can, Courtney. I'm sorry. Can, can can we just that that first of all? And <laughs> can Republicans stop acting like they own fucking religion? That's all I'm gonna uh, say. When did it come? I'm sorry. I live in Harlem. There's a church on every corner, and they're all full. You guys do not own religion. Stop acting like, oh, they're attacking her religion. Like, there's no religious Democrats or no religious independent. There are, listen, 
I know a lot of women who've had abortions, and let me just say this. I've gone with some friends. There's no box on the form that says Republican or Democrat. That's all I'm going to say on that. So, well, I can tell I can tell you that from firsthand experience. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Real talk. It's like, okay. They just want to know if you have insurance and someone to pick you up afterwards. I basically. mean, they're not being like so. Did you vote for Ronald Reagan? But you know, it's 9:30 in the morning. I don't want to talk about why I'm going to hell. <laughs> you know what we are going to talk? Well, well, we are a little bit because we're going to talk about our good buddy Jeffrey Tubin. Okay, hold on. All right, here's, may I, first off, I read this funniest thing that Tubin has now become a verb. (laughs) I'm Tubin. So I really think, all right, here's, uh, to quote Courtney, here's what I want to say about this. All right, so Jeffrey Tubin, who is a very respected lawyer, legal expert, a really good author. I mean, seriously, he's, he's very funny. He's very respected. He's a commentator, mainly for CNN, but he's somebody who has, you know, I mean, he's the real dude. He's a good guy. All right, so he was caught. It's unclear whether they were people. Basically, he thought he was off a Zoom call, and he starts jerking off. They're saying he was jerking off. Here is my question, Courtney, speaking for the, the sane women of America. Okay. Really? You can't get, when it was like, oh, it, it, all these guys on Facebook, well, you know, these things happen. No, they no, do not. Yes, actually they do. Here's the thing. Okay. Uh, and this is, and this is what I think happened. Um, you're using your same computer for everything. Like, yes. and sometimes it's a stress reliever. Like for women, like y'all think of masturbation, it's a whole different process for a woman in, in that regard. For us, sometimes it's like, oh, God, it's just a stress reliever, and you're just like, you know what, let me just. So you're using the same computer, and he probably thought he was off. He's going to be looking at the computer because that's where whatever he's using to stimulate him is playing on the computer. So I can see where people would think, you know, that he might be looking at them on the call. I have had a couple of times during this whole Zoom era Hosts and different people, you know, think the call is over and just put their phone down or put their laptop down and just, it's just recording and going. And I'm seeing, you know, just once a person just flipped the laptop, their, their iPad over thinking, okay, our call is over and they were the host. They didn't, they never turned it off. So the entire time I could just see a table and hear the entire conversation in the room and I hung up. I've had a couple of other instances like that. The problem with our computers and all of this shit is everything has a camera. You may think it's off, but if you don't double and triple check, you have to, like, log out and and take things off your screen. He really probably – I – listen, I don't know Jeffrey Tubin, but to me, this seems like one of those ones where it was just like – it was a midday. It was like, I'm going to bust one out real quick. I'm in my house. Okay. (laughs) I am not accusing him of anything. He is not Anthony Weiner. He did not. Mm -hmm. He's nothing deviant. But Zoom, when you work at home, it is Mm -hmm. your workplace. It is highly unprofessional, highly irresponsible, and they're, I'm sorry, you're that desperate to fucking jerk off, go to the bathroom. It's just ridiculous. He's a grown-ass man. Stop. I mean, uh, yeah, okay, men need to relieve really We don't want to go to the bathroom. Smoke you know, a cigarette. Have a piece of cake. 
you said the workplace, but he's a writer, right? So what I mean, so he's probably no, he's not who, a writer. He's a, he is a he knows the law. He's not stupid, right? But doesn't he write for the New Yorker? He's not an editor. Yes, no, he writes. The point, look, but it doesn't matter. There were people on that call. Could you imagine? Let's yes, just, imagine if a child. Imagine if someone was doing the Zoom call right. and their child walked in. I'm being dead I, it's serious. horrible, but we also have to let people make a mistake and it be an accident without being like, you should have gone to another room in your house. Like, it's your home. People do it ever in every room. No, I think we have uh, uh, All right. All I know is that I'm not saying that he has to be pilloried. I'm not saying that he right. has to lose his job forever. It just shows incredibly poor judgment. Well, and it was, woman, absolutely. And as a woman who who is on Zoom all the time, who has read articles about how women are getting chastised for not looking professional on their mm-hmm. Zoom calls, I have read articles like, female teachers need to wear, you know, look like they're actually in the classroom. Come on. He was on a call about the election. I'm not getting hot over this election. <laughs> there is, it's not an election. It's an election. I just, quote feel, on that. I just feel bad because it's to me it's... men acting it's, poorly, and I'm tired well, of it. I'm, but okay, but it was an accident. Estelle, I don't think... I you don't, don't accidentally jerk off. Okay. You're <laughs> jerking off to your computer. Oh! Clearly, I don't think he was on the Zoom call jerking off to them. Clearly, his camera was still on, and he was probably oh. watching some porn, and he got busted. But okay. you know, it, no pun intended. <laughs> Courtney, who is worse at technology than me? Think hard. Who is worse at technology than me? Can you think you, of anyone who's but, more stupid about? Most I know. Women, like I said, I think for y'all to masturbate, it's a little more involved. I'm not talking about the masturbating. I'm and men, about you, know, you know, men, we're like cavemen. It's like, oh, look, my dick is hot. Let me do something about Here's the thing. Listen, here's the thing. He is a very intelligent man. He yes. has been on Zoom now for nine months. Really? <laughs> Even I know how to turn the fucking camera off. <laughs> I put on a bra before I teach my students. If I can do that, you can keep your fucking hands out of your pants, Jeffrey Tubin, and now you've become a joke. And actually, the story has disappeared very quickly because luckily for him, I don't think he's a pervert. I just think he's right. a dumbass. He's no, a I just dumbass. Think he's, no, I, just, I don't think he's a pervert. I just think he fucked up. He's a dumbass. Yeah, he's a you know? That's what it is. Anyway, uh, speaking of jerk can you ima- but Can you imagine how mortified he must feel? Can you imagine? I, I don't Not care. only for people to be like, they saw you naked. They saw, they, it's just like past, they saw you naked. But I was actually watching something, maybe The View or something, and mm-hmm. uh, Sonny Hobson said it actually could be a workplace issue. If it happens, it's, once you're working, you're working. So it could be. Yes, but not she also said we don't know. There are all these new rules. Like people are at home, they can tell people because it is happening. People forgetting cameras on. You saw right. it was just a story. A teacher. Did you see that story in New York? The teacher found out this eighteen-year-old student was molesting a seven-year-old because it was the camera was on. The camera was on the seven-year-old's class, and there was a point where there was a little bit of a break, and she saw the seven-year-old you know, performing oral sex on him. And she told all the other students to cut off their cameras, and she called the police and child services. Oh, and, then the ch- and the child told them it had been happening for a year and that he uh, told her to be quiet and not to tell her daddy. It's just like, 
this crazy shit happening out there. So I'm more worried about that kind of shit than I am about Jumpy Tube, and he'll be all right. I'm, I'm not worried about I'm just saying I'm tired as a society, and women yeah. are tired of fucking making excuses for dumbasses. <laughs> I feel bad when my cat jumps into the Zoom call, which she does. <laughs> She's looking at me right now. All right. Speaking of dumbasses and dicks, oh, 50 Cent. Oh, Lord. Okay. I'm gonna let so you 50 Cent, 50, 50 Cent, cent ice cube. Let's lump them together. The 50 cube. <laughs> yes, 50 cube, really. 50 cube. Um, so 50 Cent has endorsed Donald Trump. First off, who gives a fuck? Does right. he have a career anymore outside of power? Um, the show? Does he still have that show? And can he? Yeah, he does. And can he? Can and he's got a bunch of shows. He's got shows on ABC. He's got a bunch of shows and stuff. Right. Now here's the thing: Can he vote in New York? Because he's a convicted felon here. Now are we one of the states where felons can vote. Yeah, I think so. What's fifty a convicted felon of? What did he do? I could. Did he? I, he I, got I, shot. I don't think wait, he's the no, felon. He didn't go to, oh, wasn't he, he in jail to before? To, I don't know, but I don't he. Know. Um, Maybe yeah, exactly. Wrong. I think he lives in Connecticut, actually. But the point is, is that 50 Cent has never said a word about anything about politics. 50 Cent is voting for Trump simply because of Joe Biden's tax plan, and he's misrepresenting that. So another, oh, big surprise, a rich man is voting for the, you know, voting for someone who's going to keep him rich. So right. he's desperately trying to stay relevant. I mean, I'm not saying if you're an artist, you shouldn't be politically engaged, you should be. You should use your voice for good instead of evil. But right. come on, 50. Come on. You're advocating for a man who's going to give the 1% of the 1% a tax break? Really? Well, he That's... is the 1%. Well, here's right, the thing. His, his audience isn't. I say this on this show all of the time. I'm going to keep saying it about him, about Cube, all of them. Stop getting your information, people, and listening to people and taking direction from people whose job it is to sell you things. Yeah. They have yeah. they have the answers for you. They have the advice for you for a low, low price. That's all I'm going to say. Well, I mean, I would say, let's put it this way, I would agree with that, but also check their own record in terms of, you know, have they ever spoken out before? Has Cube or 50 Cent ever made a political statement? Have they ever been engaged, or do they wait until the spotlight is on them two weeks before an election to suddenly drop a bomb out of nowhere? It Again, seems more, don't get you your know, information I, from any celebrities, people. They all, what, what, what's the agenda? Do, look at your well, life, no, look I'm at your friend's it. life, and figure out what's going no, on there, I, and that's how you make your decision. No, I think, but I think that certain people have done the work, though. I mean, there are certain people who are well-known who have, I mean, I got to, if you've done the work, if you've been someone who's been in the trenches doing the work, and you just happen to be famous, that's, that's fine. I, mean, I think I that's just, great, but I also think, for me, it really comes down to real-life shit. It's not about... It's great that they've done the work. How is your life affected? How is your family's life affected? Your friends, what are you seeing on the ground? What oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, think yeah, that's yeah. how people have to start making their decisions. Yeah, don't let them, but I'm saying they have a, I mean, Patty Smith has been doing some incredible stuff this year, but she's always been engaged. Well, anyway, so 50 Cent's an asshole. And the thing that's so funny is that he's so irrelevant that it isn't even bothering people that he said it. They're just like, oh, yeah, him. It is very yeah. like, oh, yeah, him. Kind of, yeah. It is kind of like, oh, yeah, him. 
I mean, not for nothing. Isn't this Kendrick Lamar's moment? Shouldn't this be Kendrick Lamar's moment? Like he's the political guy. He's the smart political guy. No, because I I don't I don't believe people have to come out and like again. I think it's good sometimes celebrities who want to. That's great. I think that you should get your information from real life and what's happening in your life, and stop listening to all of these celebrities. No, no, no. You're making not. I'm agreeing with you, but what I'm saying is it's just very. Interesting to me. No, I'm agreeing with you too. I'm just saying I'm not mad that Kendrick's not. Kendrick Kendrick makes his points and says what he wants to say when he has something to say, not just because of the moment. And I appreciate that because that to me comes off as more authentic rather than jumping into the fray because that's. Why doesn't he have? Why doesn't he have something to say right now? I'm not saying he has to, but it's just interesting. It's interesting to me that at a heightened moment in this country with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, some people, it's just interesting. I'm not saying they have to. I just find it interesting that the guys who have made a lot of their cultural capital on being politically active are like, come on, you know, like do a PSA to vote. Do a PSA for voting. How's that? Again, it comes back to my point of, looking for people, for, you know what I'm saying? Because you look and you expect certain things and you don't see it. That's why I don't look for any of it. Oh, I'm just <laughs> disappointed. I would just like right. all citizens who have influence. But anyway, it, it was just a thought that occurred to me because um, our friend Miles Marshall Lewis has a book coming out about Kendrick yeah. Lamar. So I think, yeah. All right. So uh, Ice Cube, uh, I, I got tired reading about it, but basically – Ice Cube had some plan to save Black America. All right, I'm being sarcastic. Do you know more about it? Because I'm just going to be snarky. I don't want to. I just don't give two shits. Yeah. Well, I mean, basically, I mean, I give two shits only because it's once again another diversion. He had some plan, um, most of which he says he reached out to the Biden camp. He reached out to the Trump camp. Most of what he was proposing is already in the Democratic platform, and the Trump camp responded and then rebranded it because, big surprise, it's Donald Trump. And I guess the objection is, is why is, A, why is Ice Cube formulating policy when he has never done anything like this, number one? And number two, why are you, don't get into bed with the enemy, and Trump is the enemy. You cannot trust him, full stop. You cannot trust him. So I, you know... I think it's another – I think it's good intentions, but I don't know why people think Ice Cube has the ever – The road stood. to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah, I don't think – I don't. it amazes me that people still view NWA as being a political group. It's like, really? Like, they did two songs about that, and the rest of it was smack women around, and Eazy-E was a Republican, and – but he – Friday is a good movie, though. It's a really good movie. You agree, right? I love Friday. Anyway, yes, what else yes. is on what else is on your mind, my friend? What else is, is I just you know, it just causes more fight and it's also another reason to stay off social media because everybody's getting up on my horse. I'm stay I literally it's like I'm like a ghost. I'm not paying attention to anything. I already know what my, my votes are. I'm ready to just vote. Like, literally, when the political portions come on the news, I either turn the channel or I just mute it. I'm like, I can't. It's like watching a Catskills comedian 
and this other guy who's just like who I just want to not fuck up before the election. I'm like, and that's a real hard way to go when you're going into election. If that's the way I'm thinking about it, so I just need to get to to, to October 24. Let me cast my vote so I can just mentally move on until the night of the third when we figure out what's going to happen. In oh, I think it's either or the morning of the fourth or the fifth or the sixth. <laughs> right. It's going to be exotic. All right. What else is, uh, what else is, uh, yanking your chain, as my grandfather would say? Anything else in your mind, Glove? Um, the Jets suck. The Giants suck. All right, I'm, gonna I'm just gonna, I'm gonna make a bold prediction. The Knicks are gonna Wait, wait hold on, um, hold on, hold on. I'm laying back in the cut here. Go. <laughs> right. Go. A bold prediction. The Knicks will probably suck. So yeah, all no. our teams suck. No, Courtney, how dare you? I know. Can you believe it? It's like we're supposed to have hope and glory, but it's like they'll, they'll suck. We no. just suck. Let me tell you something. The Knicks are so bad. All our teams, I mean, the Yankees at least made it to the make-believe World Series. Almost, almost. Almost, right. Almost. We'll take it at that point. New York teams are so bad that they literally could come up with a cure for COVID, and people would go, yeah, I don't want it. It's from that team. It sucks. Right. You know. <laughs> James Dolan is giving out checks and COVID cures. Yeah, like, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not fucking with him. James Dolan. <laughs> It probably sucks, and it's mm-hmm. and I take the first round draft pick, Dolan, over your COVID mm-hmm. vaccine. Oh, um, no, it's just absolute, absolute. All right, uh, let's get to the fun stuff. <laughs> oh wait, okay, wait a minute, I'm fluffing my hair. Okay, go. <laughs> so, now, if I were on a Zoom call right now, I'd be <laughs> fluffing my hair. <laughs> And I actually do have on a bottom today for the first time in a long time. Usually when we're, we're doing these curls early in the morning, I could be naked, but. <laughs> I don't need that <laughs> But I'm wearing a sarong and a cute yeah. top. But that's a whole The other funny thing. thing is, I'm too stupid to even figure out um, the Zoom background stuff, so my students right. actually see my background. And I have a couple of my platinum records on the wall, uh-huh. and they're all like, Professor. What is that? And I'm like, <laughs> that little thing. Like, oh, that, that just shows you that I'm fierce and I'm a genius. Thanks a lot. Do you want one of those one day? Then motherfucking listen to me. <laughs> and then the cat jumps into the call and they're like, it's Spoonie. How's Spoonie doing today? And I'm like, Spoonie never got to go to school, so she's going to school. They know Spoonie's character. name. Oh, of course. They, actually, yeah. last Friday, this is so ridiculous. So one of my classes, it was, you know, it's like whatever. They're very nice kids. And one of the girls, her audio didn't work, so she types in in the chat, how did Spoonie get her name? How did your cats get their names? And so I was like, okay, we're really not into learning today, are we? So mm-hmm. I told them the derivation of their names. Um, anyway, continue. I'm a professor. Yes. So we started talking about, you know, um, you know, Amy and I are always talking about different albums, blah, 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 what we like, classics, just going through rediscovering shit because we're just, oh, listen, I kind of, I, I came to an epiphany the other day. It's like, I don't hate a lot of the music of today. It's just, some of it is not that distinctive. And I do think there are some talented people, but I'm waiting for them to make that record that really kind of establishes them and breaks them out from the pack. Right. And we started really talking about, great debut albums that we love. And, you know, there's always the usuals, right? We could sit here and talk about 
Pet Shop Boys or Michael Faith or Nas, you know, all of that forever. And I was like, well, what are some of the other ones that, you know, deserve a a revisit? And we both started getting really excited. You know, you start digging in and playing playing these records and you realize some of them still sound so fresh and and why they need their flowers now. So we kind of came up with a list of some of our favorite debuts. Also, like our favorites, and also, I mean, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I cannot remember a record, you know, the debut record from when I was a kid or, you know, something. But it it was more that sense, and it was kind of sort of precipitated. I called you up, and I said, I've been listening to that first Seal record. Yeah. And you went, oh, my God, like, you're the third person who says that. And... That's yeah, one of the good things about two, Like two other people have said to me, yo, for some reason I started playing Seal again. And it's like, you forget about how great those early out. First of all, he's great. but He's great. Those, those first three albums are really spectacular. And that first album is just killer, killer, killer. Yeah, and I was was telling you that I, you know, back when I had a career, um, I remember being sent the advance tape because the record came out in 1991, Mm -hmm. and I remember being sent the advance tapes. Remember those, Courtney, advance tapes? Yeah. Yeah. And anyway, so I'm walking up Lafayette Avenue because the publicist for the record was somebody who, I used to love it when publicists would go, I'm not going to waste your time with this. You're not going to like it. But when he would then say, this is something I think you're really going to dig. Uh, right. so, they used to be really honest about it. They, like, they let yeah. you know, like, listen, I need you to do this for me. And then they were the ones that you just knew everybody was yeah. really I'm excited not gonna, about. I'm, I'm not going to send you the new Wilco record, Amy, because you don't give a fuck about them. But I am right. going to send you Seal. So I was walking up Lafayette Avenue and listening to it on my headphones, and I literally, like, almost stopped in my tracks because I – you know, I know dance music, I know black music, I know all sorts of different, you know, I'm not new to this, but I went, I have never really heard anything. The combination of Trevor Horn, who of course we all knew from Art of Noise, which yeah. those songs stand up, and yeah. um, and Seal's voice, which was, you know, very, very, it was like feminine and masculine at the same time, and those beats, I mean, crazy, you can play crazy today. And it and it it has not aged and and I, so I started playing the record again and I was like there's not one moment on that record that doesn't sound like it could have been done today and it was funny because you know in the in the apartheid of record companies you know they tried to work him um, they they really didn't work him black which means that they didn't have the black music department At working all. the record. It's, it's a mistake that they've made with a bunch of black artists, a bunch who, of artists who may yeah. not have swung as traditional R&B. And, yeah. you know, and, so, and, and, and sometimes, especially if you start pop, and this is what used to happen back in the day when I was at the label. If you started a black artist pop and not black, it was hard. the black department didn't usually come back around and say, we'll get the next one. It was kind of like, well, they're a pop right. artist. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they did with him, and it was funny because I was—I told you the story before. I interviewed him, and I met him, and he was just nice as pie, right? And he had dreads, and he was wearing Jordans, and he was wearing basketball. He was all decked out in Jordan. He wanted to go to West Fourth Street to hoop it up, and he was like, blah 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 blah. Cut to two years later, I interview him again, and he's staying at the Royalton, and he's got the <laughs> shorter hair, and he's wearing bespoke suits, and he had just come back from skiing. I'm like, huh, what happened? 
happened here? <laughs> he was I like, I'll tell you what happened. The pop yeah, checks, money. honey. The money. pop checks. They wanted, they didn't yeah. want me a black music. They took me a pop, and that, that got me the worldwide fame. It worked. No, but it was just so funny. But, uh, no, great record. Um, I, I mean, just stands up. Just stands up. Um, and what was so ridiculous is that after about, I think, the second record, because everybody knows Kiss, Kiss from a Rose, beautiful right. song, but um, he's more than that one song. And what happened was there had been this story that he didn't want to work with Trevor Horn anymore because he didn't need Trevor Horn. And then all of a sudden they're like, the label's like, ah, you kind of do still need Trevor Horn. And so they worked together, I think, for three albums. So what's what's an album that we, we can bounce back and forth? We'll play bouncy ball. So what's what's an album you've been you kind of came up in your memory bank? Well, you know, I'm going to give my flowers to my first set of flowers to a black woman who I feel like should have her flowers because she's still here. And that would be Cheryl Lynn in her first studio album, Cheryl Lynn, on Columbia. She put out six albums on Columbia. And this okay. first album is the self-titled record that um has got to be real on it and Star Love. But there's also amazing songs on there, like You're the One and Give My Love to You and You Save the Day. I mean, just her vocals. She just, first of all, Cheryl Lynn is a singer-singer. She, yeah. it, people forget. You go back into that catalog and you remember Encore and these things. There's also Shake It Up Tonight and just a lot of great songs. And her voice is really just amazing on this album. And she worked with, like, David Foster and, Ray Parker Jr., Marcus Miller's work with her, Luther Vandross has produced a full album of hers. And here's the thing. If you go into the Luther Vandross producing sort of oeuvre, you will notice he did not fuck around with anybody who could not really sing. If he worked with you, you could really sing. And just, I think she deserves a lot more respect. And that first album deserves a revisit because those vocals are absolutely amazing. They're perfect. And it's a, it was a great introductory record to an artist who has several classics that will still fill up a dance floor around the world. There's not a wedding reception that you go to. If you don't play Got To Be Real, I don't care if you're black. I don't care if you're white. I don't care if you're Asian. I don't care if you're Latinx. You put on Got To Be Real and people sing and dance, young, yeah. old, and in between. All right. I'm going to I'm going to combine them. All right, okay. so the first one I'm going to talk about is the Psychedelic Furs debut album, which is nice. called Psychedelic Furs. Came out in 1980. So I had just moved back to New York, and then and I was like working. Where was I working? I was working in clubs. I was working in some clubs, and I was and working in and hanging out at the Peppermint Lounge. That record, like, we were joking around saying there's the, the A&R rule when you're listening to something new. You give it 20 seconds, and if you don't like it within 20 seconds, you're like, fuck it, and you turn it off. Right. What's amazing about the Psych Furs is that the f opening track, India, is basically this gradually growing drone. There is no vocal. There is no instrument. It's one like a guitar kind of growing and growing until it just explodes into the opening track. And you are mesmerized by that song. And that song, they played it in the clubs. They played it on the radio. They are just, uh, you know, British post-punk band. Um, the, 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 you know, again, people know them from Pretty in Pink and Love My Way, which are wonderful classic songs. But the first Psych Furs record, 
it, it just doesn't sound dated. It, it, and I it, love the cover art. I love the yes. way they're shot. Yeah, it's it's a really really good record. And the other one I was going to throw great in font. style. The font, yeah, the style of font with their name. Oh, yeah, I just yeah, thought yeah. the art direction was really good. Yeah, they were just a really, just a really. They had the saxophone. They had those kind of droning post Johnny Lydon vocals, that kind of British droning thing. And the other record, and then I'll bounce it back to you. And this is way, you know, I was a kid when this record came out, but I remember the first time I heard it, which is the debut Roxy Music record, which is 1972. So I was like yeah. a little, you know, I was like not checking for Roxy Music in 1972. No. <laughs> um, so I am cool enough that, I mean, but I had seen them, you see them. I have friends of mine in London or in England who say when, Virgi when Roxy Music played Top of the Pops and did Virginia Plain, that they mm. literally can remember the moment where they were because it was like, and, you know, I don't have to, I hope I don't have to sell people in the glories of Roxy Music, but this sort of sets the template for what they were like for the first three albums. Avant-garde, great songwriting, talk about style. They had more people doing the art direction on their albums than were actually in the band. Right. Um, but just classic art rock uh, with great songs and with Brian Ferry when he was still kind of doing that monster mash voice of his so it it's a classic classic record that again still sounds good yeah. uh take it courtney so i'm gonna once again go to the roots of dance music and give these three women their flowers because i feel like they've been lost in the conversation of great dance music and that is uh, Joanne Thomas, who passed away, Renee Washington, and Sherry Williams, formerly known as Jomanda. Jomanda. Oh, wow. Jomanda. Wow. Well, it, it was a dance music trio from New Jersey. Fun fact that I'm sure all of our Jersey listeners know, and if you're of a certain age in New York that you know, okay. um, and you're in the house music scene, Yes, you know, people give a lot of credit to, you know, between New York and Chicago, you know, when it comes to house music. But there are a lot of people who came from Jersey, like Adiva and different people. Jersey has and had a really vibrant house music scene, very vibrant house music clubs that people would go to back in the day, like Zanzibar. And these three were from Jersey. And his album, Someone to Love Me, which came out in 1990, was amazing. And... It has bona fide club classics on it. It's the roots of house music. Back when it was just give me a beat, give me some girls who can sing or guys who can sing, some harmonies. Not like today where everything has to have, you know, that big drop in the middle and the spin right. and this and what that. Year did the, what year did the record come out? Do you know? 1990. 1990. Okay. And, okay. you know, it contains Make My Body Rock, which is a bona fide club classic. Uh, Don't You Want My Love, which is a club classic, and probably the song they're best known for radio-wise because it crossed the top 40, Got a Love for You and True Meaning of Love. And it's just an amazing dance record. It still sounds great. It's classic house music. Uh, vocally, it's great. And, you know, Jamanda used to rock the clubs and they would perform and they could dance and they could sing and we would dance and you know I put that record on over the weekend and I was in here cleaning the house just just singing and 
being like, wow, remembering all those days in New York City clubs back when it wasn't about tables and all of that shit. It was like bodies pressed up against each other dancing. And it's just good music, good dance music. Solid, no fuss, no frills dance. Thank you for that. Um, All right. Is the flower thing a reference to The Bachelor? I've never watched The Bachelor. Is that The Bachelor? Did they give him flowers? I've never watched it. Saying giving somebody their flowers is an expression to say you're giving them their gratitude, you're giving them their praise while they're still here. Because a lot of times we wait for people to pass away, and then you know they're all of the tributes like, "Oh, they were so great, they were so wonderful," and so like the kid said, "Yo, I'm giving you your props." Okay. Yeah. Um, (laughs) What do young people say these days? All right. So 1991. Once again, I'm I'm a working journalist. I'm a music critic. So I have like sort of a, an inbred allergy to hype. If somebody, if everybody's talking about it, I'm like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Um, once again, uh, advanced cassette tape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Walking around, uh, Massive Attack Blue Lines, 1991. Ooh. Has not aged, Courtney. You uh, know Let me just say, because I still play that record. I love Great group, a great group whose influence outweighed their commercial viability, at least in this country. But uh, unfinished sympathy, safe from harm, daydreaming. Yeah. What I loved about them lately is my shit. Oh my god, I love that album. I they love were, you know, combining hip hop and trip hop um, and uh, ambient. Um, they they fused dub. There was you know Horace Andy, who was a singer unknown to a lot of Americans because reggae is much more embedded in the culture in in England. Um, just a, their version of "Be Thankful for What You Got," a reworking of that. It, it, again, it's one of those records. their version of "Light My Fire." Yeah, just just they were. Um, you know, the rumor has always been that Banksy is either one of those guys or is Massive Attack affiliated. That's always been yeah, the rumor. And it, it, it would is, make sense, you know what I mean? If yeah, you really, from, aesthetically, if you think about it, it's yeah. like, that, that doesn't sound ridiculous. Because <laughs> these guys are all, they're from uh, Bristol, which is outside of London, and connected with Massive Attack. Watch the segue I'm going to do here. Connected with Massive Attack and and often credited as being the mother of trip hop is um, Nana Cherry, whose debut Raw Like Sushi came out uh, in 1989, and she's best known obviously, and she still does it in, in concert. You and I saw her do that with Bill Coleman at National Sawdust. Mm-hmm. You know, Buffalo Stance was the hit. But the whole album is is it's it was sexy. It was it it definitely gave you London at the time. New and she York has other hits on the album, Kissing on the Wind and stuff. But it seems like yeah. here in the U.S., whenever they play anything, they only go back to Buffalo Stance. Right. But it definitely she's as much a product of New York as she is of London, Absolutely. as she is of Sweden, as she is of the avant jazz scene in L.A. because of her uh, her dad Don Cherry. And she but, grew up here part of the time. Yeah, and, you know, in like Long Island. Has, yeah, Long Island City. So you definitely hear the the New York City club scene, the hip hop scene, the trip hop scene, the everything scene, and it's a sexy, honest. It's just, a, again, you put it on, um, 
and it's, it has an age. All right. Before I continue talking about, we talk about debut albums. All right. So we record this on Google Voice. <laughs> and yesterday, the DOJ announced that it's going to file an antitrust suit against Google Voice. Now, normally, I'm like, anything Bill Barr does, I'm against it. But Elizabeth Warren and Bill Barr believe in this and I, in the antitrust thing. And I will say, having now, Courtney and I having now spent 20 minutes trying to connect our Google Voice call, I'm like, in the middle of our, In the middle of our taping. We were in the middle. We're right. In the middle of a sentence. Talking about Nenna like And this happens every week, Sir Jai, or whatever your name is, who runs Google. So, Courtney and I, Democrats, progressives, hater of Bill Barr say, bring the suit on, motherfucker. Bring it on. And now we're going to get cut off again. <laughs> now, now right. back to your, to your Nana point. The thing that worked with that album was it had a flavor. The, it had a New York flavor. I mean, she yeah. wanted to work with, you know, Biggie worked with her on her next album. It had a, it had a London flavor. It had an international. It was like a, it was a perfect mashup of everything and i think she was one of the first hip-hop artists who was doing a rap sing thing because she was sing and rap on her record you know um, there was somebody else singing her singing her hook she was singing her hook auntie well auntie stone did that with sequence didn't she but yeah, you're but right sequence, sequence was a full hip-hop group that was that yeah. wasn't a singing group at all you know they were, yeah. they were a rap group yeah, but it, I mean the thing about Nana, yeah, I mean she she crossed all. She was R and B, she was hip hop, she was alternative, she was dance. You could hear the New York, you could hear the London. It was like Massive Attack, like um, it, it was a re it was a record of that moment. But yet it was a record of that moment that um can you know still works. Yeah, Buffalo Sands is a big hit, still sounds great. She has not. Well, you know we love her, but she has not made a bad record. I mean, Homebrew, oh, my God. I mean, her follow-up. Homebrew is amazing. Amazing. But she has never made a bad record, and this really established her. It was a great image. Everything was great about it. I'm going to, keeping with women, I'm going to talk about Reese, How I Do, mm -hmm. which I think was like, I don't know, 94, maybe 95. Um, Reese put out a second record as that, not as good. The record was written by... Uh, Shanti White, a a.k.a. Santa Gold. Mm -hmm. um, Reese came, kind of came out of the Philly uh, Roots kind of scene. Not Roots, like in Roots music, the Roots uh, scene. Uh, Golden Boys, Ice King. Um, another record that was screwed up by a label because they, in, in, in the reverse, they decided to work her black. If she had been white, this would have been like a really great rock kind of alternative record. There are R&B flavor and hip-hop flavors, but they kind of screwed it up, too. But it's another record that I could play all the time, and it never sounds old to me. She was supposed so, to be a big deal, too. You know, they, supposed they, you to know, be, they, yeah. they, they were really it's, – it's, it's maddening when you see that happen of an artist where you really see the talent and you get it, but the color of your skin, they're like, all right, especially back then, it'd be like, well – it's this or it's this. But it's you also, know? and I, it's funny because, uh, Sean, I, well, I think two things happened. First off, I think once it became known that, that Shanti had written a lot of music, it kind of took the shine off the fact that this was like 
her stuff, though I'm sure she contributed. And her second and third record didn't have the as strong songwriting, but it was also it wasn't it was that she was black, that she was a black woman artist. But it was all you couldn't pinpoint the sound, and, and people want to be able to go, it's a this, it's a that, it's a this, and you couldn't pinpoint it, and that made it really really difficult. Um, for her, but I, I go back and listen to that record all the time. All right, what's your next one? My next one is I love how we're like me. I'm just stuck in the '80s, right? Uh, my That's next right. one is Jill Jones' debut album, Jill Jones on Paisley Park. Okay. Now, this album, to me, out of all Prince had a lot of proteges, as we all know. Prince produced a lot of protege albums most of them are shit as we all know but you know when you're a prince fan you have your favorites right we you know as a prince fan we all love the vanity six album but if we're honest the vanity six album is not great there's nasty girl there's if a girl answers don't hang up but the singing is not great and then you've got like apollonia six where you know sex shooter makes that a moment but the jill jones album stands out to me as the one where this album is the most cohesive as an album that he's done for his protégés with really good songs, great singing, great sequencing. It's an out of print album, so you kind of you can't even stream it. You're going to have to look it up on like YouTube or find it online, you know, the MP3 copies that people have ripped floating out there. But what her happened first, to her? Did she have well, any she's kind still of... around. She was still right. around, you know, and she, I believe she was, I, you know, I'm friends with her on Facebook. I saw that she just posted that she is, she just finished doing an interview. You know, Netflix is doing a Prince documentary and I heard oh. her speaking to all of the real people and it's supposed to be the real deal. And she, wow. because you know, you she, know was been, she was with Prince. You know from, the doc, do you know who's doing the documentary? Any of the people behind it? Do you know who it is? I don't remember, but it is somebody, it is people who are, it, it's somebody of note, I believe. But yeah. It's probably Alan Leeds, his you former know. manager, I'm sure, has something to do with that. That's yeah, great, but, though. Wow. But, you know, Jill has been around, and she's put out music sporadically through the years. But this album is, to me, some of the best Prince writing and songs outside of his own catalog. And I was in college when this album came out, and... I just remember the first single, Mia Boca, which is amazing to me. I love that song. And I, Prince had a big fight with MTV. It was a big point of contention with them not wanting to play this video, you know. And he's like, they spent a lot of money on it. John, uh, it's a John Baptiste Mondino video. And he's like, we we have this video, we have this song. And this this was part of that fight of MTV not playing black artists. And he stood up and fought for this video. And I believe... It hit more in Europe because, again, the U.S. and especially in 1987, if it didn't have a certain kind of sound, they just right. radio was just not existed for it. But to me, it is a star jewel in the in the Prince Protege uh, sort of canon that people should look at. And then I moved to 1989 to a moment. I'm still in college. And I'm the music director of the school radio. I'm giving radio. birth. I'm giving right. birth in 1989. The entire year of 1989. I'm the music director of the school uh, college station. And I get this advanced copy of this album called Affection by this lady named Lisa Stansfield. 
Um, and I'm like, oh, what's was this? That 19, <laughs> wait a minute. That's that 1989. That is 1989. All right, she turns, to her, she, she turns to her CD collection to right. find the album. <laughs> wait a minute. And Hold I on. Think, <laughs> That's fucking mind blowing. 1990. 89 and 8990. The single came out 89, the album 1990. Amazing. Amazing. The single came out 89, the album came out 89 in the UK, 90 in America. Wow. It was, listen. Wow. I think most people all know, all have been around, all around the world and we love that. I dig into all of the jewels of that album. Because uh, there are many, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? You can't deny it. This is the right time. Live together. What did I do to you? I mean, it is just, you know, we all Mighty have love. That, Mighty yeah, love. We all get that moment of, you know, when it's like a white British singer who has that sort of soulful voice and everybody jumps on it and there's like a million black singers with that same voice in the U.S., who, you know, are not getting the same shine. But I think why we loved Lisa was, one, she's the real deal. She wasn't mm-hmm. a puppet. She co-wrote all of those songs. Right. So it wasn't like she was just this girl with a voice and the producer who said, I have an idea. Like, that was pure her. And when she came here, they worked her at Black Radio and, and worked her on the Black Circus. She did show I saw her on Trek. They um not yep. so strange. She was Donnie Simpson. Used they used to play that around the yep. world, uh, been around the world video on whatever Donnie Simpson's show was. A, a video Soul, absolutely. Right. And she went to Showtime at the Apollo. She did all of that stuff. It wasn't like all right, well, I'm, we're gonna take her pop. And I think because she came at the same time, did the black stuff at the same time she did the pop stuff. Black, you know, you, you get the props from it. And because we know that you co-wrote these songs and stuff, you're not like some. Puppet yeah. with a voice where a producer was like, I have an idea. She got that acceptance. And that album is still brilliant. It still sounds great. I think people should dig that out again, especially during these, as we're moving into these winter months. It's good when it's colder. It's good driving in California down PCH. It's just, it's just, it's I saw, I interviewed her, I think, for this album, the second album. And I, what I loved about her was, A, she's like super nice. She's like a broad, you know what I mean? Like yeah. she's a broad. And, um, she was staying at the Algonquin, which I thought was so fucking old school New York, because everybody at that time was staying at like Royalton and the Paramount. Right. And she was like, I'm going to stay at the Algonquin. And I was like, you're amazing. <laughs> and then I saw her actually in San Francisco, and she could she could turn it out live. This was not a studio act. I mean, right. And she was giving uh, homage to Barry White, who was not cool at that point in a right. lot of ways. I mean, so I love, uh, yeah, she's cool. And one of the one of the many artists who's uh, um al- one of the few artists to do an album with Babyface that never did anything, which is right. weird. Right. And Clyde Davis destroyed her career because she wouldn't kowtow to what he wanted. So, Team Lisa, uh, I'm going to finish it up. Speaking of white people. That black people like, um, other than me, of course. Um, <laughs> Lewis Taylor. Ah. Lewis Taylor, bittersweet, 1996. So I found out about Lewis Taylor because our friends, Barney Hoskins and Mark Pringle, who run the fantastic site Rock Back Pages, I was mm-hmm. writing for a magazine they both worked on, 
And because, like you, I'm an Anglophile, I was like, hey, what's really good in England right now? What should I be listening to in England? And they went, Lewis Taylor. I'm like, ooh, what's he like? And they went, if Marvin Gaye was a guitarist. And I went, huh. <laughs> You're like, if, that's interesting enough to make me say, I can't even picture what that would be. Right. So if Marvin Gaye was like, could play the hell out of an electric guitar. Now, Lewis Taylor is not. Marvin Gaye, but the vocals give you that thing. So the Lewis Taylor record, Bittersweet, it was never released in the United States, and then finally it did come out. He was one of those guys, he came out of prog rock, of all things. Mm-hmm. Um, very much a, a, a function of the studio, because I did see him live in 2005, and I got to say it was kind of disappointing. Um, really? Yeah, I was, and I had oh, been looking, I mean, he was word. good, but you could see, he was also like a reluctant performer. He mm-hmm. was not somebody who was super into performing. He was a studio no, that's the rat. Because you got to be into it. Like, you yeah, see somebody who's was, up there who's kind of apt doing it. That really well, I mean, shows on stage. You could just tell that he wasn't like, uh, he, he was more of an artist than a performer. Right. But great songs. Bittersweet is the first one. It sort of, it got, it fell into that whole sort of like, Acid jazz, neo, I don't know what the hell the fuck they were fucking calling it, but I know, whatever. But, um, great vocals, great guitar playing, um, great songs, uh, bittersweet, whoever's the love of your life. Uh, the second album is also great. So he really not, never got a proper U.S., but he was culty. You know what I mean? It was one of those things you'd go Lewis Taylor, go, oh yeah, Lewis Taylor, you know? So I, I, but he's disappeared. He's like sort of like put out his last record and is working. Is the record still in print? Is it one of the ones that can people stream oh, you know, it? Everything's they... in print. Everything's in print. Everything's on Spotify. But he literally just disappeared off the face of the earth. You know. You, well, you know, you know, he pulled the Bobby Gentry. You know, Bobby Bobby Gentry is very much alive. Bobby Gentry. Yeah, he did. She quit yeah. in the eighties, got married, and we we think she lives in the L.A. area, some place with her family well, or something. But yeah, she stopped performing, was... and that was yeah. you have not. Yeah, I think with Lewis Taylor again, it was one of these, and then they discovered this thing called the Lost Album, which was an album he had made before he went in this direction, which was called a California folk rocky, which was interesting. I just think he's one of those guys who was who was very talented and mm. had that wasn't moment and, and wasn't comfortable yeah, with the and, spotlight and, and all of the other he's shit. Very happy going back to doing whatever the fuck he was doing beforehand, right. you know. All right, um, shall we wrap have, this up? With, well, one, one more. more sorry. Yeah. I'm going to wrap it up with one that made me fall in love and I think deserves a, another listen. They had bigger hits as they went along, but this is the one that started all. Banana Rava, Deep, Ski, Deep Sea Skiving, which came out I got in worried. 1983. Courtney, I, was, <laughs> I was very worried that we had gone an entire show without you bringing up a British girl group. I was trying to get nervous. I was and, wondering if maybe if you had a fatal disease or something. No, like it's here. It's here. It's an amazing Good. record. And I think if people go back and listen to it again, it's like, you know, I, uh, my, my, I can never say the the, the, the right. Their first single they recorded in Swahili for no reason. They don't speak Swahili, <laughs> and when they do interviews now and they say we don't know why we recorded this song in Swahili, we That's had to learn it phonetically. We don't. We to this day don't know why that first single was in Swahili. And then that also has Shy Boy, and he was really saying something, and na na na, hey hey hey, kiss him goodbye. It's a great, great record to three girls 
who were, um, became unlikely stars. And if you really think about it, of all of the female groups at the time, they weren't trying to be sexy. They were, like, jumping around in overalls, but they had great songs. And those songs still hold up to this day, and this album still holds up to this day. It is a kinda, great debut. They kind of gave you a white TLC vibe in their outfit. Yeah, just, yeah, and it was just kind of like, here we are. And the fact that at that time, that British group, Got to have worldwide success. They came. They had a number one here before they had a number one at home. You know, yeah. so it, it's it's a quite just interesting interesting thing. All and right, then so, of course, um, and then Siobhan and went on to do Shakespeare's Sister, who you and I is, love. Uh, love, 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 love. Yeah. All right, kids. So uh, we come to an end of another show. We want to thank you guys for listening. Remember to uh, follow. First of all, follow our podcast network. Listening party yeah. presents online. Follow them also at listening par- listening party podcast on uh, IG. Follow us on IG at I'm gonna let you finish in Y. Follow us on Twitter at finish Ima. Follow us on a Facebook page. We're really active. We're there a lot. At, I'm gonna let you finish all one word. And uh, um, guys, Courtney, this is a really important. This is a really important season, guys. You got vote, really. This is vote like your life, but depends on it. I honestly feel like it does. Where and wear a mask. Listen, no one likes to wear a mask. Let's just put. No one likes it. When I see the people screaming, it's like, yeah, I'm wearing a mask. I can't fucking breathe in that bitch. I don't like it, but I'm going to wear a mask. And wash I, the fact that we have to give people instructions on how to wash their hands, Amy, in 2020. I'm like, yeah. you have to tell people how to wash their hands. I mean, like, not really? for nothing. Not for nothing. I, I have found out that I didn't wash my hands as much as I thought. But I just want to point something out before we leave, Courtney. Mm-hmm. I didn't masturbate this entire show. Aren't you proud of me? <laughs> I might have masturbated during the break when we couldn't get locked back in. <laughs> <laughs> And with that, peace out. (laughs) Peace out. We're tubing. Bye.